Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and I have with me today Jason Troy. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on the show and speaking to your fantastic tribe. We're glad to have you. Uh, Jason is a top business and executive coach, a sales trainer, and an author. Uh, he's a leading expert on human behavior, daring leadership, and relationship building. Uh, he works with experts, entrepreneurs, small business owners, and executives to help them get unstuck and stand out by building key skill sets, creating their visions and purpose, and building key relationships that impact the bottom line. Uh, his best-selling book, Social Wealth, is the how-to guide on building personal and professional relationships. He has sold more than 35,000 copies of this book, and it's been number one in four different business and self-help categories. It's a great book. Uh, Jason received his law degree and master's in communication from Syracuse University, and he got his bachelor's in history from Indiana University, where my daughter is, as we just chatted about. And he lives here in the Dallas, Texas area. So in this episode, we're going to dive into Jason's entrepreneurial journey, how he got to being his own boss. We're going to talk about relationships, uh, overthinking and how to manage that, uh, creativity, which is always an interesting subject for me to chat about, uh, finding your business purpose and vision. I wanna know about his book writing experience and then generally his keys to his personal and business success. So once again, Jason Choi, welcome to this episode of The How of Business. Great. Well, I'm excited to be on the show and talk about all of those things and more. Fantastic. So let's um, get started, or I usually get started, which is back when you were going to school and then you went on to law school. So did you think you were going to be an attorney and why did you end up not practicing law? Let's maybe start there if we could. Sure. Well, I thought I'd be practicing law, but like everything else in life, especially an entrepreneur, your journey is twists and turns and very nonlinear. So it was my second year and I was interviewing for, you know, positions for the summer in New York City. And I was asking, you know, a bunch of questions and prepared. And I talked to third year law students about what to expect, what to say, how to practice answers. You know, and they always said at the end, you know, ask some sort of softball question before you leave that the people can really talk, you know, about the law firm or their experiences in a way that's going to make them feel good. So the last question I asked, which now I know was very naive at the time, I didn't think that it was, was, are you happy? Hmm. And I found that the answers were the longest for me to ask and for people to answer. And the authenticity meter was at the lowest. So, you know, after doing literally 30 some interviews and it was every single one was the case, I thought to myself, there's a challenge here, mm. you know? So, so you were asking the people interviewing you that yes. question. Interesting. Yes. And you got uh, varied answers, but they'd all, the undertone was all, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. And when people have to pause a long time on that question, <laughs> it's never a good thing. Yeah. They're either, they're either thinking of the politically correct answer or, or they're really not happy and they're trying to express it in this positive way as possible. Yes. Or, or they're just confused. Mm. And I, I don't care what the reasons are. That's not a good place to be in at that point. So it just caused me then to really reflect and think about you know, do I really want this job? Do I really want to work in this environment? And, you know, I thought to myself, this is probably, you know, after a lot of reflection and time, this is not really direction that I want to go in and spend, you know, the rest of my life having to do. But wow, I mean, that's tremendous, Jason, because that you had invested so much of your effort and time and schooling. Um, you were that insightful at that point that you were able to pivot based on that feedback? Because most people, well, I was getting I think, my, yeah. including me, would have said, well, I still got to charge forward because this is what I've picked, right? 
Right. I mean, I was getting my master's in communications at the same time. And, you know, so I was even at more school and I had even less time to think about this because I was trying to get everything done in under three and a half years. So it was just a real challenging point. I mean, I just had this point where I realized that something was really wrong. And I just, you know, thought to myself, well, what else could I do at this time? And, you know, I also was going to finish off everything I was doing because at that point, you know, when you're in law school, your third year is the easiest year. Now, my master's was not going to be, but my law school was. So at that point, it was like, okay, if I've done almost 90% of the work, there's no reason to stop now. And if somehow, you know, I wanted to pivot back, I could have, but I didn't think that I would. And I just started looking for things. And, you know, technology was something that really interested me. And I thought to myself, you know, what better place to go than, you know, the ensuing gold rush uh, that was, you know, not quite happening, but it was starting to percolate in Silicon Valley. Yeah, fair enough. And I have to believe that that knowledge of the law has benefited you throughout your business career. Is that fair? Oh, definitely. And I think that I'm always a curious person. So that also fed my curiosity and love of learning and love of understanding. And also, you know, the, one of the most powerful things that you learn in law school is really it's all about the questions you ask and not the answers. Mm, good point. So what did you end up going to do career-wise then after you graduated? Well, then I just, I did marketing. I went out in Silicon Valley and, you know, I found uh, a, the best agency that was out there to do marketing in. And that's what I did because I was like, it's a great opportunity to work with smart people, to work with a lot of clients, to really understand how things work and really just build out my skill sets in a way that I could really figure out where I wanted to potentially dive into deeper. So, you know, that's what I did and that's where I went after. And at that time, was there any thought of, I want to be my own boss at some point? Not really. I mean, I, and I find that, you know, when I talk to people, one of the things that's interesting about doing it is that if you do not have an entrepreneur growing up that has a really big presence in your life, typically a parent or an adult, most entrepreneurs then don't start something to the 30s or 40s. Yeah, that's been my experience as well. So when did it happen for you? When, when and why did you decide it's time for me to go on my own? Well, you know, I, I realized after a very long time that my ups and downs in my job and satisfaction, also probably really my results, were the fact that when I was spending more time with people and doing the things that I was much more passionate about on a consistent basis, I was a lot happier. And the f more successful I got, the less opportunities I got to do those things. And so emotionally, I found that I was not operating at a point where I was really, uh, really getting the best out of myself because that, you know, my emotions, my top emotions are figured out are connecting and belonging. So when I'm not doing those things, I'm not really going to be operating at my maximum and I'm not going to get the maximum results out. So I need to put myself in a position where I can be doing those things. And I can't really be doing those things in a political environment, which is working in a company and working with other people telling me what to do. Because ultimately, the higher I got, the more I was sitting in a back room working on PowerPoints or whatever I was doing. Mm -hmm. So I thought to myself, OK, there has to be some other way. And I had no idea where what to do or where to start. So it actually started in, in helping other people. So what happened was I had two friends ask me at about the same time to help their friend, one of their friends move from one big city to another. And that was a really huge opportunity at the time, which I didn't really think about. I just said, okay, well, I'll help you because they were, you know, people that are like 30 years old, introverted engineering type that were trying to move and restart, you know, their life and their career. And so basically I just helped them from A to Z, do literally everything. And in about three months, you know, they had way better lives than they ever had before. And I was doing this obviously for free and I wasn't thinking about how do I monetize this or what do I do with this, but I just did it. But then I realized after that point, well, if I've done it for two people, I can do it for a thousand because there really wasn't any reason that I couldn't. So I figured, okay, well, let me start really small, like in an acorn level. And I now know that I can help someone you know, create a great social life in 30 days or less because it's really what I did. So 
I found some people that had existing lifestyle coaching businesses and one person I knew really well and I approached him with that concept because there wasn't another one out there. There was no one doing this at all. It was a complete greenfield opportunity. So I said, okay, if I can go in an existing business, there's no money out the door and either works or it doesn't. But if it works, you know, I could try to figure out and go from there. Yeah. And so did you, when you decided to launch that business, did you do it on the side? Did you quit your job and do this full time? What was the transition? I just did it on the side. Basically what I did was I pitched a book that, you know, I could write and I basically put down and I did like a 30 slide PowerPoint presentation. It was pretty detailed. So it was more than just like a normal with pictures, it was more content heavy. So it wouldn't be anything you'd actually show publicly, but it was an easy way for someone to sort of navigate through and figure out my ideas. And so just worked on doing a book, some programs and things of that nature to figure out, will this thing be able to monetize itself over time? And can I figure out how to make it grow? So then I could quit my job and it would make some sense. And so how long before you were making enough money to quit your job? Well, it's actually kind of a windy road because I think it, it, it had its peaks and valleys, but end of the day, you know, it wasn't my business. And so the challenge was because it wasn't, there was just a lot of problems when you also have to work under someone else's business and like what they want to do. And I didn't feel like directionally in end of the day was going in the right direction. I mean, we worked together for several years on this. I mean, because when you're working on the side, I had a real, I mean, I had a you know pretty high level job. I mean, there's only so much time I could spend on all this stuff. So these things took a while to execute and get done. And even when I was working a lot on it, maybe I'd work 20, 30 hours a week. But if I were doing that, I mean, I would be pretty pressed in my other job. Or, I mean, to actually execute and do everything. And there were periods of time when I actually couldn't because I'd be on the road or doing other stuff. So there was a point where I realized that the business that we had was not going to be able to make enough money on the trajectory it was in. And the person I was with, I just had a big falling out and realized also that you know, I was being Robin in this business and I need to be Batman because I was steering a lot of it and it wasn't really in my best interest to continue down this path. But I didn't, you know, and so I thought to myself, well, how am I going to make this transition? What am I going to do? And I had been working on a book, my book, Social Wealth, that I had been, you know, researching and doing a lot of things on it for, you know, probably at that time, you know, probably like eight months. So I knew I had that gold and I knew I had some clients and people that I could take with me along the way. And I, and I basically decided to quit my job. Um, and it, but I also had some challenges there too. And there were executives getting basically kicked out of the business that were the people that were, I was reporting into. So it kind of, everything came together at, at the same time. Yeah. So I didn't, I had not caught that in the first down that you were doing this in partnership with an existing lifestyle coach. And then you had to yes. effectively relaunch after you decided to part ways with them. Yes. Yeah. Got it. And this is a great. Thanks for sharing that story. Cause that's typical for a lot of us that we go through these ups and downs and false starts before we actually get going in, in the business that is our sustainable business. In the sustainable business, that's the same. It's like twists and turns too. I mean, yeah. so it's, it's a, it takes a while to find all these things that you have to put together. And there's not, I think it's a lot easier now. Back then there wasn't near as many people doing it uh, that I could find. So getting help building it out was much harder. And I didn't really know where to go. And I think that, you know, within the last, you know, I'd say 18 to 24 months, it's become a lot easier because I definitely think there's a lot more help and resources out there that people can get that can help them steer themselves much more effectively. And Jason, and forgive me if I got this wrong, but I thought in the research that you had mentioned where there was a lot of fear and self-doubt that came into play. Uh, did I get that right? And tell me oh, where, yeah, where that always. came from and how you overcame that. Yeah, I mean, always. I mean, I think that there are because when you want to do anything in life, the hardest thing is doing it because you take a leap of faith, but you're fearful because you have no evidence to prove anything. And I think you have to start taking leaps of faith in your life in any area, because then if you start getting evidence, you'll start doing things for not the end effect or the result, but you'll do it for the leap of faith. Because if you start a business, there's no guarantee in your life and you're not owed anything for it to be successful. 
And if you keep measuring everything that you do a success or failure based on taking a leap of faith, you could have a pretty tough life and you're not going to be living the life that you love because that's not what people who are really successful do. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people and that's just not how you have to go through that process, but it's really difficult to do that because you have to learn to manage uncertainty and manage it so you can live in a lot of it, but live in, in a healthy way. And that's, that is probably the biggest factor that discriminates from people who are wildly successful and those people that are maybe mildly successful over time or can do one business but then can never do anything else again. Yeah. So let, let's, let me dive into that a little bit more. So how is it that you and, as you've said, people that you've spoken to are successful? How do you manage? Give me some examples of how you manage that. Well, I mean, I think one of it is you have to get some sort of coaching and help. Okay. I mean, I, I don't know anyone that's not doing coaching or doing masterminds that is really successful. I mean, I, I can't even find a single person. Be, and, and if you and if you think that someone isn't, they probably are. They just haven't told you or you haven't asked. I'd say the other thing is you need some level of support. I mean, you need to go and find other entrepreneurs or other people that are doing things. They don't have to be doing the same things, but you need to find people that are forging a path in life because those people understand all of the challenges you're going through and they can support you in a way. And I sort of, you have to find your community and your tribe. And that's, you know, and also in other ways, right? Socially, as well and things that you like to do because otherwise you're you're living a life and you're thinking that you're all by yourself um i also think that you really have to understand how to manage your own emotions and your self-awareness about what's going on and understand what are your own blind spots and those are difficult again but you have to you have to dig and figure out what those are and i think if you can do you know those three things you're going to really be able to manage the uncertainty in a way that you can live in it because a lot of people may have a lot of uncertainty, but then they go to things like either alcohol, drugs, or they'll, they'll do something that's a negative behavior to counterbalance all this uncertainty. Yeah, that's great advice. As, as in particular, seeking help and, and uh, guidance and support from people who are on the same journey or similar journey. They're on their path, like you said, because that, that's critical. We, we can't go to you know, the people that we used to work with who haven't done something like this or even friends and family sometimes, they're there for support in a different way. But you yes. got you to gotta get it from people who have done it or are doing it also. Yeah, and it doesn't matter what it is, right? So people often get this mistake and they're thinking, well, I want to start, you know, a business in marketing. So I need to find all the people that are doing something entrepreneurial in marketing. That's not true. That's, I mean, I think that would, that's helpful. But the point is to find people that are forging a path in life. And if you do that, they will understand it because although they're doing something different, the journey is very similar for people. And I, I just cannot tell you that I think that without having that, and that's why I think you're seeing the advent of all these masterminds pop up. And people are paying a lot of money to do them because of the support. And I've gone and I pay and I go, and I'll tell you that I learn a lot with the right circumstances, the right people doing it. But even the ones I learn less from but so a lot, the support of the people is probably one of the top reasons why I would go and why I think other people go. Yeah, makes sense. Well put. All right. That lets us segue into this topic, big topic of relationships, which obviously is a focus for you. I thought I'd, we'd start with if you would explain the importance of relationships in the context of small business and this concept of social wealth, which is also the name of your book, if we could start there. Right. I mean, end of the day, relationships are your business, right? Everything we do in life is with or through other people. So your relationships will either make or break you. So you have to understand how to build extraordinary relationships and connect with people and deliver them exceptional value on a consistent basis. And I think that, you know, underpinning all that is trust. And that's the glue that holds all of this together. And for a small business owner, your customers have to trust you. And end of the day, the most important component of trust is caring. Because I find when people know that you care about them, they will overlook other things. Like maybe you didn't deliver on time. Maybe it wasn't a, your product or service. There was a hiccup here or there. There's always an opportunity. But end of the day, you have to have that. And if you don't have caring, 
you really are going to be in a challenging situation when things go wrong, which they always will. Yeah. And you talk about in your book and elsewhere about building rapport, likability, and trust. Can you speak to those three key things? Sure. So when you build a relationship with someone or you meet them, you have to build a way for create intrigue for someone to want to follow up with you, for someone to want to get to know you better, someone to try your service or your product out. I mean, there has to be something that you're doing. And so when you think about it, rapport, you know, trust or likability and trust are the key things across the board that you have to do in order to create that. And with rapport, you have to build a common ground with people, right? And if you have a small business owner and you have people coming in into your business or you're talking to them, and even if it's if it's not, if you're just interacting maybe online, I mean, you've got to get to know them. And one of the ways that I do this in person and when I just meet people is, you know, find ways that you can really get emotionally attached and involved in their lives quickly. And you do that really through the use of questions. And you can ask them, you know, two basic questions. You know, one is, what's exciting that's going on in your life right now? Or two, you know, what are you passionate about right now? What projects are you working on that you're passionate or excited about? Because those questions get at the heart of what, what people are really caring about. And you can do that if you have a customer or someone in your business or anything else because it takes very quickly. But that way you can start asking follow-up questions and things around the thing that they care about and you'll be able to find some common ground, which is how you build rapport quickly with someone else. You know, you can do things through you know, NLP and other things in body language, which there's a great book by Amy Cuddy She's got a book out there, and I forgot the title of it, but she's a Harvard professor, and it's great. And there's NLP that Tony Robbins talks about. And I think all of those things can't, are very effective, but they take time. But asking questions, anyone can do, and you can do this right now. And you can do it no matter where you are. And I think the next part is likability, and the quickest way for likability is listening. And that's what people don't do, right? I tell people that if you talk – 30 to 40% of the time, you'll be doing yourself a major service because more is, or less is more here. And I find because the number one thing that people like to talk about more than anything else is themselves. And most, they don't really have a sounding board or anyone else that actually listens to them in their life other than people that are really close to them. So when you do that, you do an important service actually for them and, and they like you a lot more and they don't really have to get to know you well. I did that when I was living, I moved, first moved to Dallas and I was out socially meeting people and I just asked a lot of questions of people and people really didn't even know who I was. And they'd be introducing me to their friends as Jason's this great guy or Jason's awesome or they'd be saying some things to me and I'd think to myself, well, how could it be true? They don't even know anything about me. But it's because I used questions and I was actually engaged and present with them and I was, was talking to them, and that's really all it took. And the third part is really trust. And with trust, what you want to do is you want to help people quickly, right? So when I ask people about what's exciting in their life, I try to ask them something about how to help them, or I try to do something. Like I may introduce them to other people. Um, I introduce them to strangers, even people that I don't know. Like I might meet someone and I introduce two strangers to each other. Let's well, doing them a service. I might ask them, what's uh what's exciting in your life and i might tell them they love music well i might suggest something to the moment or follow up with them about some concert ideas or something else because what happens is when you lead with giving in your life with other people what you do is you mimic the behaviors of people's closest people in their life right they're their family their close friends a business partner because that's most people in this world are not givers they're either matchers or takers and Adam Grant's got a great book on this called Give and Take. And so what you have to do is you have to lead with giving and you want to lead with giving in a way that helps the other person. And it doesn't have to be something monetary or it could be something that really takes you no time all, at all to do. Tremendous advice in all of that. And I think that last part is what's also is certainly key to trust because trust takes time, true trust. But when yes. people re when people see that you really are in it to give before you take, then that's where trust comes from. But tremendous tips there, even with the questions, because what you're getting at is you, immediately you're making people feel like, wow, they want to listen to me. And like you said, everybody wants to hear themselves talk about themselves. And then you take it to the next step, which is how can I help you do more of that? Or how can I help you be more successful in that? And who doesn't love that? Right. So by the end yes. of the conversation, they're falling in love with you, if nothing else. 
Yes, and that and that's and that's the key because then what happens is although you're an acquaintance, they feel like they've known you for a long time, or they really have a sense of liking you. I mean, everyone's met someone, and within five minutes or ten minutes, they felt like I've known this person all my life, or they're so amazing. Well, you can do that on a pretty consistent basis if you start following doing these really simple things. It's just that people don't do them yeah, no, I because think they're it, worried about selling. Yeah, exactly. And I think instinctively, I have to tell you all about myself so that you'll like me based on that. So let me, you know, let me read you my advertisement on myself and everything I'm doing yes. as if that's what's going to win them over. But in fact, people put up a block and a shield and they come away from that thinking, oh, all that guy talked about was himself. But when you flip it, all of a sudden people, they, they think you're the greatest person in the room. Because no one else does it, Nobody right? Else I mean, it. I, yep. Right, because I mean, when you do what no one else does, you'll get results. And that's the thing, because everyone wants to talk about themselves. Everyone asks you, where are you from? What do you do? When you flip the script, you also make people present. And they've had a lot of negative experiences or things that have just gone okay with the other way. And they've had it thousands of times. So when they hear you go down that same road, you have an uphill climb to actually get intrigue where they're actually engaged with you. And it's very difficult. But if you do it the opposite way, you have them hooked right from the beginning. Yeah. So you've obviously do a lot of thinking on this. You've written about it as part of what the book is about, if not, if not the, at the heart of it. But I heard you speak in another interview that this obviously wasn't something that was natural. You had to come to it. And it was when you thought back to your successful days at Indiana. So tell us that story. When does this, when did this clarity come about on how important relationships are and taking this approach to building relationships? Well, when I was in doubt, when I moved to Dallas, I mean, I moved here, my mom was moved down to Dallas. And I thought to myself, it would be great to be my mom for a couple of years, because I had moved away. And I hadn't been close at all, like in proximity to her. And so I moved, you know, to Dallas. And, you know, I started meeting people, but I didn't know anyone down here. And I was like, geez, this is really taking a long time to meet people here. And there just has to be a faster, better way. And so I read books, I looked all over, and I could not find anything that was really going to help me. So then I pieced back part of my life that was like, okay, well, when I was m most successful socially and I had all these great things going on, what were the common denominators? And what they were was I was involved in a lot of groups. And I was involved in the right groups with the right people. And I then was able to cross-pollinate the groups and bring people from other groups together. And I thought to myself, well, why can't I do that here? I just got to figure out where to go. And then what I figured out was, well, the places to go are charity organizations and nonprofits, meaning museum, symphony, opera, whatever it might be. Because you have people that are socially mobile, a lot of young professionals, and you have people who are well off because that's where people who go, right? I mean, think of Bill Gates. He started the Bill Gates Foundation. Well, it's the same thing in all these charity organizations and nonprofits. So I thought, okay, let's start this theory there and let's go there. But also I have to find a way to then get in there and meet a lot of people when I'm in these places. So how do I start doing this? So I thought about, and I, I looked at some things and I pieced it together about just introducing strangers to other strangers. And I figured out how to do that and it was so simple and it could take 15 seconds. And when I started doing more of that, when I went to these organizations, what I found is I'd be, I didn't know anyone and I introduced strangers to other strangers. And what they would do is then start introducing me to their friends like that were at the event. And I'd be meeting five, you know, they'd introduce me to three, four, five people that they knew. So what I was end up meeting, you know, was 20, 30, 40 people in probably like 90 minutes or less on a pretty consistent basis. And I found that a lot of these same people went to other organizations as well. And then when I kept on doing this over time, it sort of took on a life of its own. And I met all these people and I really had great experiences in my life and I led all with giving. And then at that time I was like, okay, we'll just ask people questions because it's a lot less energy than answering them. And I can't do all of this, so I have to do it. So some of it out of was self-preservation, frankly, but I learned that it was actually part of the secret of the things that I was doing. So some of these things I tripped over, some of the things I just put together, and then I just tweaked them over time. Yeah, that's fantastic. This is such a big topic, and obviously it's, again, at, at the heart of the book, Social Wealth, and we're going to have a link to that book on the show notes page for this episode, and you can find that at thehowofbusiness.com. 
Um, all right, next topic I want to move to here is overthinking because you're you've given that a lot of thought as well, not to overthink it, uh, but it's what paralyzes us, right? We we overthink something, we're not sure, we don't have the confidence. Share with us some tips on how to overcome that. Well, there is what they saw, you know, the confident competence um, conundrum, right? So the point is, is you, you don't have enough confidence because you haven't done it enough. And it kind of goes back and forth. And so what you have to learn in life is that you're always going to be doing something for the first time. And I think entrepreneurs understand this. And you also have to understand that most I've talked a couple hundred really successful entrepreneurs. I mean, these are people like the financial editor today show, like the number one Saki expert in the world. I talked to professors at Harvard and, you know, Wharton School of Business and really successful authors about what they're doing. And with, I asked them a question of every 10 things you do the first time, how many of them do you get right? And they say five to seven of them, they get wrong, like pretty wrong. So you got to realize that everyone out there is starting from the same deck. Be, you know, they're not the one they're going to have to pivot. They're going to have to learn from their mistakes. And so if you wait around to get it right, you'll never do anything in life. And you've got to realize that if you go in a bunch of people, meet them like in a room full of people, you know, the point is you're trying to go there to get the experience of the opportunity to meet some people, to learn. And so you have to go in there without getting attached to an outcome. That's what hurts people the most is because they're attached to success or some number they have in their head or something else. And if they don't hit it, then they look at it as something that they've lost. And you have to go in life with goals, of course, but you also can't be so attached to those goals that it paralyzes you, right? And I think that that, because that self-talk then really hurts you over time. So the things that I do in life is that, if I'm going to start some of my business, you know, I certainly have a goal, but I, I tell myself the most important thing is I take action and I take massive action because that way, even if it doesn't work, there's a lesson and I need to pivot and I'll have to learn from that because that's life and the most successful people always do that. So why do I think I'm better than someone else and I just should get it right? And so that's the way you then judge in part after you look back at something is did I take the right actions? Did I give enough effort? Did I do enough of the right things or what did I, what should I have done more of or less? Not I did or didn't take a business to a million dollars or whatever the, that artificial measure might've been. Am I following you correctly? Yes, because we are not, we are not success or failure. We are ourselves. And that's the problem because if you look at, you know, there's a great book called Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. And one of the principles out of that is that most business owners cannot do multiple businesses that are bigger and bigger because they start to equate themselves with the success and they overestimate how much they actually did in the business. So their ego actually holds them back. And the point is, is that if you did that business, the you know, next time you do a new business, like you're starting from square one because all the circumstances and all the other things in the business at that time can never be recreated again. But most people, who are in the situation equate themselves with that success. And that's the problem, right? It's, it, and I think that's where people have to take a step back and realize that like, you're always learning in life. You're always doing things from a new perspective and a new set of circumstances. And if you try to translate that the other way, you're really going to have problems and let yourself down. And that's why most people have some big success and they can't ever find a way um, the second time. Or what happens is they go in a precipitous fall, which happens as well, right? They they get they feel bad about themselves. They try something, it doesn't work out, and then everything in their life starts to fall apart till they hit a rock bottom, and then they they come to this realization conclusion. Yeah, tremendous insights. That that book, Ego is Enemy, is next up on my queue for reading. My business partner David Begin read it and wants me to read it as soon as possible. Um, and then the other thing is, if I got it right, from all the highly successful entrepreneurs you've spoken to, 50 to 70% failure rate is what they've experienced. Yeah. And typically when they try something for the first time, it could be anything, right? It doesn't have to be something big, it can be something small. And I think that that's, I think, pretty representative. And, the, you know, again, these are highly successful people that have, you know, done a lot. And so if they're failing at that rate, then why do you think as an average person that you should be doing better than that? 
That's exactly right. We just had a, a recent business failure. We had a restaurant location we had to close. But that's exactly the thing I always think about is who am I to think that there are people smarter than I with many more resources, with much more money and brain power that fail on a daily basis. Who am I to think that I can't fail, right? That's, that's, that's arrogant to think that I can't fail. And in fact, it's how I deal with it and what I learn from it that's the key thing. And the other thing about it too is, I think the other problem is, is that we don't realize that the reason each of us is where we are today is because of our success and our failures. And if we took out the failures, we wouldn't be who we are. And so they're intertwined together. And I think the other thing that happens with people is business is very nonlinear, but we like to tell these linear stories of how we figured it all out to connect the dots because it's much more sexy. And then other people look at it and they think, well, if I do these things and I go A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, I'll be successful too. But that's just not the case. And I think that's the hardest thing for people to understand in their life is that we operate in a very nonlinear way where we're going left, then we go right, we stumble on the ground, we dust ourselves off, then we go forward, and then something happens you know, over the next two to three years to make a business successful. But people like telling the reverse engineering in this linear way, well, all of a sudden I had this realization and we had this, and it seems very neat in like a book that goes from page one to page 100, but that just doesn't operate like that. Yeah. And that caused people to do a lot of overthinking too. Because then they get obsessed with that and they think, well, why isn't this working? And it should, these people told me it's supposed to go like this. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful insight. I think David was telling me in a book, he calls that in a, to an extent rounding the corners. So you, you yes. take out the rough edges when you tell the story. Completely. All right. So let me jump to creativity because it's a topic I'm passionate about. And I think it relates to this whole thing of failure. I believe, at least certainly in my experience, that um, what happens to people is we're, we're taught, we're disciplined, we're indoctrinated into eliminating that creative, that childhood creativity, and instead we're indoctrinated into avoiding mistakes at all costs. And I know you talk a lot about creativity and how important, though, that is in innovation and in leadership. So just share with me your thoughts on creativity, how you stay in tap with it, how you develop it, how you nurture it. Well, the first thing I always ask myself is, you know, whatever goal I'm at, you know, one thing I've heard by Peter, Peter Diamantis, who's uh, really well known and famous, he's one of Fortune's like top 50 leaders in the world, said you should 10x every goal you have. And so I really try to look at it like that. Like I'm taking any goal, how do I make it 10 times better? Because the reality is that it doesn't take 10 times more cost or time to actually build something pretty fantastic. And you have to always remind yourself that you can make the impossible possible. Right. And this happens all the time. People think so low and that's what holds them back because they don't think it's possible. But it's, you know, it's only possible until someone does it. Right. It's like I've, I've told people all the time, well, you're only crazy till you're proven right. And I've lived in Silicon Valley and I saw a lot of people very successful and a lot of people not. But you have to have some big thought. You have to have something out there that's guiding you forward and what you're doing and the belief that it's possible. Right. You don't have to have the answers, but that's part of creativity and innovation is having that mindset saying, well, if it were possible, how would I do it? Right. Suspend all judgments and saying, well, if I could do that, what would it need to look like? You know, how would this thing grow? Well, how would I need to do this? And it's the same thing like writing a book or doing anything. Right. If you look at it like, oh, my gosh, it's impossible. Well, no, it's not. It's just you're thinking like it is. And if you tell yourself it's impossible, well, you're guaranteeing it is. And I think the other thing we talked about before in creativity, and I think that I've heard um, Brene Brown is my favorite author, and Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote a great book, Big Magic, recently, you know, talked about the fact that inspiration and creativity owes you nothing. You may try things and it may not work, but you have to learn in life to take the leap of faith without going after the imagination or the creativity being the end result. Because it's going to take you on its windy journey and wherever it leads you, and you have to be willing to do that. And you might get up in the morning and write a thousand words for a month, and you might get done with it and saying it's all crap. And you have to just start over again and ask yourself the hard questions. But you'll have learned from that month, and you'll have figured out the next pivot and path to take on your creative journey. And I think it's important for people in life to invest in that part of themselves that let themselves be uniquely themselves 
and let it all out and stop worrying about things like criticism or comparison on their creativity or following else's someone's journey. I think all these things really hold us back and really don't allow us to embrace all the great things that we have inside of ourselves. And because we think we're, we put these limitations on ourselves because we don't think it's possible. And, you know, Tony Robbins was talking, I learned a podcast with him recently talking about how, you know, if people told me it's impossible, back then he said a story about feeding people. And he said his goal, you know, growing up was I just wanted to help feed other people and it's grown and grown. And then he had a goal he wanted to feed, help 100 million people. And I think he's over half the way through. But, you know, if you would have said this to him 15 years ago, you would have said that's insane, right? Yeah. I mean, but that's, you have to, you have to go that big. And I find when I don't go that big, I really don't have near as much success. For whatever reason, I've tested this out and I have a client of mine who I told him two years ago that I was gonna help him make a billion dollars out of nothing. And I know that he thought it was crazy. And right now we're probably close to two thirds to three quarters of that from zero, Yeah. right? And I realized that a lot of the times when I'm not going that big, and he's most my most successful client, and I thought to myself, well, probably part of the reasons is that sometimes I'm not going big enough and I'm not pushing them to dream and think big enough. Yeah, fantastic. That's that's great insight. So related to that, let me ask you this question. Why do you think in your experience you find people get stuck either personally in their business? So they might get stuck in, in holding back from taking that leap to become their own boss or they've got a business and they're just stuck from a growth perspective. What are some of the common themes you find as to why that is? Well, it really comes down to not understanding the process of changing your blind spots. Because in life, what happens is we have these survival patterns that keep us safe, right? They keep us protected and it goes back to our lizard brain. And so that's what happens. And, you know, for instance, like something growing up, your parents may have told you is don't talk to strangers. Well, I, I bet your parents didn't tell you at age 18 going off to college or whatever you were doing that what they told you, you should stop doing. And now you need to talk to people. So we have these mechanisms inside ourselves that hold us back and we don't really understand what's going on. And, you know, a simple example is, you know, I had a client of mine that I was doing a sales uh, training for and she was a very successful sales manager. And, you know, she said to me she wanted to sell more and she wasn't doing as well. So I asked her a question about, you know, what was going on? What's the stories that she had about herself and the world around her? And she said, well, I just can't sell more. I just can't do this. I don't understand why. And what happens is most people just stop there, right? And they may get some sales training. They may do something to try to work on that story. But the little voice in your head after you get some negativity says, see, I told you uh, you couldn't do this. And you have to dig deeper. And the next layer deeper is looking at your emotional layer. Like, why am I feeling this? Like, when I'm feeling that I'm not selling well, I was like, well, where, where, where does it come up? And she said, you know, it comes up in her throat. And I thought to myself, that's really interesting that she felt like these emotions were really percolating at a high level when, when doing that. And then I asked her, what, when, you're, when you're at that point, like, what's going in your head? What limiting beliefs are you thinking about yourself? And she said, well, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. And we dug deeper. And the end of this was that, you know, she was growing up. She's a very high pitched voice. And her grandmother and mother told her that she would never amount to anything because when people heard her on the phone, she'd sound like a little girl and she could never sell and be successful in business. Well, we had to turn that around. And what I told her was you need to start telling people that the reason you got in sales was because of all this. And, you know, at the appropriate time and moment. And then you can look at yourself and you'll say to yourself, well, I am worthy, right? And I don't need to feel these emotion, negative emotions and things that are going on. And, you know, pretty much within less than 30 days of doing that, she turned it around and was crushing it. Right, so let me make sure I, I caught the tactic there. By her talking about it, she was uh, disarming it, taking away the power it had over her? Yes. And she had to understand the fact that, when you're growing up in life, a lot of the things that go on that hold us back are through modeling. We model from our childhood. We learn accept and we mimic the behaviors that we learn from early on. And these start getting ingrained in our life and we can't get out of them until we dig deeper. And if you look at anything in your life, whatever behavior you want to change, you can look at it as like going downwards. You have, you have the behavioral, you have the stories about it, about the external world. 
you'll have the emotions that you attach to that story. You'll have the limiting beliefs around that. And then you'll have your modeling from childhood. And you have to understand each layer of what's going on. And then what you do is you reverse engineer up as you understand what's happening to get the result that you want out of there, to change the behavior. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think I think so many people live their lives based on the story that someone else has told them about their lives as opposed yes. to creating your own story. Uh, but even when we do create our story, we're still it's still a constant and continuous thing because it can very we can very easily revert to that old story. Yeah, it's very it's, it's a difficult process and as you keep evolving, new things always come up. It's not that these things go away, then other things come up along the way. That's why it's an iterative, ongoing part of the journey. And you're never really done. You're just at the next step or the next level. And the next level has its own set of challenges and problems that you're gonna have to overcome and go forward. And you have to be okay with that and learn that's part of life and that's the juice and magic about it. It's never about the end result. Right? I, mean, I have a clients who are selling franchises in their business and when they sold it, they weren't jumping for joy, you know, getting bottles of champagne. They actually were kind of sad that they were leaving this all behind, even though they were getting a huge wire transfer. But when I asked them about the journey, they were more excited. They were telling me stories about it. And I, and I said to them, you know, what you have to learn from this is signing that line and getting the money was, will never bring you happiness. It's the journey. And that's the part of life is the juice of life is the journey. And we don't look at it like that because when we're in it, it's hard to get perspective on the good things that are happening because we only can do that in a, you know, looking back to the past. Yeah, and it also goes back to what you talked about before that that measure of that check isn't really as it turned. I mean, it's nice. It's great. Don't get me wrong. But it really, really wasn't what it was all about, was it? No. Yeah. And that's uh and that's something that we all have to remind ourselves of in our life is that it, we are not success or we're failure. We are our unique selves. Yeah, it's not a binary thing. No. All right. I want to ask quickly about uh, the book, uh, Social Wealth. And, and of course, the book goes into a lot of the stuff that we've talked about related to relationships. I'm just curious about the process of creating it, how long it took you to write it and get it published. Tell us a little bit about that whole process. Well, it took me like 13 months and I spent a lot of time interviewing, you know, a couple thousand people over the time. I interviewed like 50 really successful, um, well-known people and probably a couple hundred other people. And then I just started writing it and it didn't take that long after I had all the notes and everything assembled because the book sort of wrote itself at that point, but I had to do a lot of research into it to make it, you know, the book that I wanted to have it. And I, and, and it was really helpful for me because I wanted to do that part of immersive research to really get a lot of the things that were happening to me. And then what I also, I did was, you know, I researched for a while finding really successful people on how to market the book. And because that's the, I had another book out and it really didn't do that well. And because I didn't understand how to market it. And so I knew that that was going to be a key thing. So I spent time and I found, you know, some people to help me with that. And, you know, and I had to do it in a cost effective way because at that point I didn't have that much money either. So I had to figure out what I could do to really move the needle as far as possible without having some, you know, budget, right? Because a lot of my, most of my budget was trying to find a really good editor to help me put some of this together and help me, you know, assemble the book in a way that it was going to be you know, reachable for people. So that part of it took, you know, took some time simultaneously. So it probably, you know, just, you know, start to finish. I think it probably took me, you know, about 21 months to get this thing completely done, which I think is pretty typical for people. Now, people don't have to do that much, right? I mean, you can write a much shorter book. I, I you know, the first time I wrote it, I didn't take near that amount of time. So I think for a lot of people, if you're like, wow, that's like too much. Well, then you know what? Write on something you know and write a 50-page book. Right. You don't have to have it be, you know, mine is 125, but I had to try to compress it because I had a certain, I wanted to write it at that length. So I had to compress a lot of the um, information and really get it down in a different way. So there was complexity in that, but you don't need to do that. You can write a book that's 50 pages and sell on Amazon. That's don't be don't be held back by the limiting belief that you have to have two to 300 pages because yeah. a lot of the 200, 200, 200, 300 page books, frankly, aren't any good. And they tell so many stories that there's no one. It's so difficult to get the information out. 
that I'd rather read a shorter book now than I would have some long diatribe because I know a lot of the information probably will not be germane. It'll be stories that will be okay, but they won't be near as helpful and will just be, I'll have to read for the nuggets. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. All right. I, I want to ask you, I always ask a question of what's, what's been some of the keys to your business life and success. You, you mentioned early on that you identified that you're a connector, belonger type personality. Um, and I'm sure finding that out and then building around that was key, but highlight for me, what have been some of the keys to your success in business? I would say getting great coaching. I've spent a lot of money getting coaching. I mean, I, I spent money when I didn't have it because I knew that this, everything in life someone else has done and model after success. You know, I just spoke to a woman today about helping me do uh, basically a TED Talk presentation who's like unbelievably great. And I went and tried to find the best person I could find and she's very expensive. I mean, it's probably going to be like nine to $12,000 to do this 15 minute talk. But end of the day, I've got to find a way to get it done because that's the key. Otherwise, I'm messing around for the next couple of years on something when I can have someone help me do it, right? So you just have to find a way and scrap and claw to get everything done. I'd also say taking massive action, right? I mean, I was working seven days a week for a while on this, and I was working years on the side. And you have to be willing to do that. And I think that's what a lot of people don't have is that, you know, what are you willing to give up to get what you want? And I think that's a key thing in life that you have to ask yourself that question, because if you're not willing to give up a lot, you won't get what you want in life, period, no matter what it is. I don't care if it's personally or professionally, you just won't. I'd say the third thing is, you know, for me, being of service is the highest level that I can be. So every time I try to help give, inspire as much that I can in everything that I do and everywhere that I go. And, you know, it probably isn't happening all the time, but I definitely try to think about that in all of my relationships and even my acquaintances that I meet and people that I don't even know, because I think to myself, how would I want to be treated, right? And when I'm at my lowest point or days when they're really hard, I'd like someone else to try to do that to me. But I don't get attached to the outcome. So I help people without the wanting of anything in return. Sure, I have boundaries. I don't let people, but I don't lead with that. I don't lead with, well, I have to, you do something for me and I'll do something or vice versa. That's called matching. And that's not, you're never going to live the life that you want if you have to do that because you're always keeping score. Yeah. And that takes a lot of work and effort. And there's a lot of negative energy associated with having to keep score with people in your life. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you genuinely and honestly are giving, knowing that in your experience, you're going to receive back from that. And I'd also say, you know, being vulnerable is like one of the most important things in life. I think, you know, vulnerability will either make or break you because it is the essence of having connection with people. And you're going to have to open up to a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And they may not reciprocate. In fact, they may negatively say things, but you cannot let that slow you down in your life and you have because the key is is that what i have found is when you lead with vulnerability other people are vulnerable and what will happen is you'll have way better relationships way quicker with people in both your business and personal life and it will be transformative but it's always harder it's like we want everyone to be vulnerable and do it first well that's not how the world works you can't have the good without the bad you know you can't you know you can't try to get out of failure and then hope you have love it just doesn't work. You, you have to do both together and accept, you know, the good with the bad, but you have to go in there a hundred percent. Yeah. And that's where that ego story also comes into play, yes, right? Completely. So on coaching, tell me what you look for initially in selecting a coach. What, what is it that has to be there for you? What do you have to feel? I do a lot of research and I look at seeing, you know, because you can pick two people to uh, two. I, I call them two levels of people. They're either people that have achieved it or there are people that are like rising rock stars and the rising rock stars are significantly less expensive, right? By factors of money, but you have to do enough work to figure it out. And I think a little bit is you have to go with your, if you're going to pick people that are not established, you have to go a little bit more with your gut. I mean, you can read stuff, you can see things, and then you just have to go ahead and doing it. But I also like to see, you know, 
some client success if they have it, but that's actually less meaningful to me because a lot of times it's hard to get people to say what you want them to say. Um, but I look and seeing, you know, what, what are other people in the industry doing? Like, what are they offering? What are you offering? What is your unique proposition? And does it resonate with me? Is it something that really feels good? Is that person being vulnerable? Are they authentic, right? Are they a straight shooter and what's going on? And then you just gotta try things because you're just not always gonna get it right. But if you invest in something that doesn't work, don't be afraid to pull the plug and then ask yourself, why isn't this working? And then you can go um, and find the next thing okay. and find the next person. And that's just how I, I look at it. And you know, also look at it typically you know, I can probably, I'll have maybe one to two coaches at a time helping me with stuff. But if it's anything intense, I don't have any more than that because I can't do the work, yeah. right? It's just too hard. Right. So that's like my rule of thumb. Or I'll go to a, you know, uh, like I'm going to Harvard in uh, three weeks and I'm doing a, a management and leadership um, summit there in the in executive program. Well, you know, I'm doing, I do try to do things like every three months. But I'm really focused on that right now. And so I'm doing other things, but I wouldn't go to another conference in the month of September because it'd be overwhelming. And probably maybe not even, maybe October, but not in September because it's just too much. You've got to kind of space things out so you can actually leverage the time that you go when you go to one of these intense things and you're trying to learn a lot in a very short period of time. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, a uh, couple more questions. Books, we've talked about a lot of books. Obviously, you read a lot. Is there one that stands out you would recommend to our audience? You know, I love everything by Brene Brown. Um, I think that's she's a great author. Um, I'll tell you another book I just read that, I mean, I, Ryan Holiday's book, Ego is the Enemy, is fantastic. I'd say the other one book I'm reading now is by a guy named John Rulin. His name is R-U-H-L-I-N. And he is like considered the number one gift giver. Um, and it's called Giftology. And the book's brilliant about how to give gifts to actually get ahead in business. And, uh, you know, I found that some of the things I had been doing, but I just didn't really understand it. And it's fa it's fascinating book. And there's a lot of people that really like him and have given me that suggestion of that book. Uh, well, he just wrote it, but just get actually reading his blog. And so I just, you know, heard a podcast with them the other day, and I think it's a pretty unique, fantastic um, look at how to you leverage gifts in your life to make a really marked difference. Fantastic. And we'll have those recommendations, all the books we've talked about. We'll have links to those on the show notes page for this episode, and you can find that at thehowofbusiness.com. All right. Last two questions. Final thoughts, parting piece of advice for our listeners. I mean, I think the key thing is take action, right? Take massive action, right? Three things in your life right now that you want to do within the next six months, and they could be very small. It could be that I just want to meet, you know, five new people in my life, or I want to have one to two better friends or really good friends that I don't have now, um, or whatever it is on the business side of metrics and, and write it down. And then you just got to take action and get it done. And I think, you know, and, and don't pick huge goals that are not possible. I think at this point, pick small ones because once you get some evidence of it, then I, then you can start 10 xing your goals. But I think initially you've got to have some evidence because if you don't and most people don't, then they start to give up, right? It's like going to the gym and trying to go six days a week. That's not reasonable, right? right? I mean, pick three and go for 30 minutes and then you can do it and then keep picking it more and more and more. Um, and then you're going to find to be way more successful at the things that you're doing. And you'll be surprised in a year from now where you can get from where you've been getting in the last five years. Great advice. So where can our listeners go to find out more about you, your business and all of the services that you offer? Sure. Well, I'm actually launching a new website right after Labor Day. It's actually up now, but there's a few things on it. But it's my first name and last name, Jason. It's T-R-E-U.com. So it's Jason, T-R-E-U, all one word, dot com. And there's blogs. There's some giveaways on there. I'll actually be starting a podcast probably later in the fall that I'm working on now. And there's just a wealth of information that's on there that you can get and utilize and have some fun with. Fantastic. And by the time this show airs, that definitely all will be up and live. So folks, be sure to check that out. If you did not get a chance to write it down, we'll again have that on the show notes page at thehowofbusiness.com. 
Jason Choi, it's been a fantastic conversation. Thanks for being with us and sharing your knowledge today. Hey, well, thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me on the show. This is Henry Lopez, folks, and thanks again for listening to this episode. If you're listening to us on iTunes, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you join us on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream.